0: and we're live welcome back to the doomer bloomer podcast with will nemo we are talking about the hero's journey the 12 steps 12 step framework for life success in business and relationships we're talking to people on their life's journey how their life has been affected or not affected you know, going from a doomer blind doomer mindset to a bloomer mindset. Today on the show, we have Valerie Simon. That's how you pronounce it, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Good. And you're coming... Where are you coming from today, Valerie? I'm
1: coming you? from Silverthorne, Colorado. A small okay. mountain town.
0: Did, <laughs> did you grow up there or are you just, just hanging out?
1: Oh. Well, All right, can you hear me? It's pausing a bit. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Did Did you grow up there or are you just, just hanging out there right now?
1: I did and I didn't. I grew up between Morrison, Colorado and Silverthorne, Colorado. We had a mountain house and kind of a house where I just really went to school for the most part in that area. So Silverthorn is like our forest getaway.
0: Nice. Yeah, I I grew up in the woods as well, so I can kind of relate, <laughs> you know, small town living at its best. So the reason I invited you on the podcast is I wanted to hear more about your hero's journey, you know, potentially your doomer to bloomer path. Tell us a little bit briefly about your story, Valerie.
1: Well, I grew up in Colorado when I was 18. I moved from here to Vancouver, British Columbia, to go to university. And I mean, it was really my first time stepping outside of everything I knew. I didn't know anyone in Vancouver, but what I really wanted to do was Be at a good university and also be in a film industry because I've been acting on film since I was like 13. And yeah, from there, I was also exploring my consciousness via substances just out of curiosity. So It was a really wild time in the sense that I was just put in an environment where I was away from all of my identification factors. And it was also really lonely, just in the sense that when I went back to my hometown, nobody really knew me because I had changed so much. But also, I had a difficult time really connecting with people in a new city because when you kind of grow up in a small town you don't know how to make friends outside of the people that you know so it was an odd space to be because no one really knew me for who I was and ironically that that was something that I wanted at one point in time I just didn't want anybody to know me but yeah quickly that bit me in the ass and I learned how to really connect through networking and just really putting myself into the film industry and dedicating my life to that, and philosophy and all the consciousness exploration just ended up becoming one thing and I trained as a screenwriter, which also enhanced all of that put together as well so so yeah, then down the road, I started traveling more. I've traveled the world, and it's just all kind of come together into what is now and i'm really fascinated by human nature and the mind and really just like the shadows of the mind that we don't really know about or are uncomfortable with kind of looking at okay yeah
0: Segueing here a little bit because I did read your essay this morning on Substack. Which Interpre- one? Your one on psychedelic use,
1: mm. <laughs> um,
0: and not not and and not just the 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 potential mind opening effects, but the 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 negative rabbit holes that people can go down. Because I have several videos about that as well. but the precautionary tale that my life took in 2019
1: and 2020,
0: mm-hmm. you know, cause what, what I, what I gathered from your essay and I'm not, I'm not going to try to butcher it here or anything, but the essence <laughs> of the, of the essay was go ahead and, and try these things, but be forewarned that the mindset and the life and your thinking that you bring to the experience is going to color your experience. You're not going to necessarily get the experience that you want. You're going to get the experience that you need, whether that be yeah. good, bad, good, bad, or ugly. Right. And oh my it's God, not, it, yeah. It's not all good. It's not all sugar, sugar plum fairies and rainbows and, and, and that, and that sort of sort of vibe. And as, as you alluded to in the essay is we're introduced to this in a very taboo way, right? It's, Psychedelics are just starting to come out of the closet in the last, you know, five, five, seven years, really. Um, you know, Colorado has some relaxed laws. British Columbia has some more relaxed laws around it, right? Decriminalization, because we're looking at also the, the mental health benefits. You know, for psilocybin for depression and MDMA for post traumatic stress. You know and it's a completely evolving, evolving field. So I just, I, I kind of want to go, I'm going to poke you a little bit,
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you know, <Do> it. <laughs> you're, so you traveled from small town, Colorado, went to university at UBC, right. Mm-hmm. In, in Vancouver. Yep. And Vancouver is a tough city. I tried to live there in 2009, 2010. <laughs> And that was before the Olympics, right? So after the Olympics, the the vibe really changed hard. It became more internationally recognized. A lot of international foreign money came into the city. It's expensive to live there, mm-hmm. and I just I called it no fun city. But it's got some really cool. It's got it have some really cool neighborhoods like Kitsilano, and you know, and, and yeah. the whole vibe, whole vibe along the the University Endowment lands.
1: Yeah.
0: But um so just just paint me a bit of a word picture. Your initial I don't want to say shell shock, but your initial culture <laughs> shock um from going from a small a small pond, because that's my experience too, going from a small yep. pond where people know who you are, people wave to each other in the grocery store to Vancouver <laughs> where you can't you couldn't even get someone to say hello to you on the SkyTrain if you tried. In most instances, yeah. right, and and then of course your journey into psychedelics or entheogens—that's another name for it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, and and how 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 that went from a positive experience because it's initially usually fairly positive initial experience.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. until
0: you start. Like you said, psychedelics aren't inherently addictive, but the experience mm-hmm. can become addictive. That's what the essay kind of alluded to.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I really like your interpretation of my essay. So I started experimenting with psychedelics back in Colorado. and in in Denver, there's this underground rave scene which is really spread out across North America. Like I know it's in British Columbia too. I just, I I stopped raving in, when I was in Vancouver just because they're more like drum and bass and I didn't appreciate it at the time. Now I appreciate it more, But but yeah. Back then when I was 18, I was so picky just because I was kind of stuck in that small town mentality of Denver. But yeah, I think, it, I was introduced to psychedelics in a very like loving way. Just it was through a conversation and I I originally wanted to just do it with you know people that were very close to me, like like you know, soul sister wise type close to me. And I originally thought I was kind of doing that. That was my original intention, but it just came to be where you know I was so in love with the whole the experience that I wanted it again and again and again and it it was totally unconscious use and I was I was really young you know it's not that I was addicted I've never been addicted to any substances before but I I used spirituality as this kind of veil to give me an excuse to keep going into the world of psychedelics. And you know, and it was also including like MDMA and you know, just kind of just those substances that make you experience life times 10. I I I was really curious about them and um you know, I think I I loved the feeling of really exploring who I was in a heightened state. And it for sure really allowed me to get in touch with myself to a degree that I didn't know how to at the time. But probably after a year into experimenting, and I was also experimenting a bit in Vancouver with people that weren't as close with me. Like, I mean, they weren't as, like, close friends as I would have wanted to originally experience the whole psychedelic trip with. But, but yeah, like after a year of experimenting, I started to get these subtle cues of like terror. Like I started having terrifying experiences, like feeling like I was going to die on acid, for example, which, I mean, a lot of people start, they, they talk about like ego death. I, I hear a lot of people say like, Was it an ego death or were you actually dying? And to me, it doesn't feel like there's much of a difference, really. Like, life is about having an ego. Like, we're individuals. We're here, like, in a body. We're here having a unique individual experience. And I think when you feel like you're dying and you get terrified of it, it's just such a clear indicator that you're not ready to die and you're totally being irresponsible with your life so I mean it took me a few times to really get the message and each time that I didn't get the message the worse and worse and worse the the cues got that it was like why are you you know it was as if like the 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 entheogens were just like asking me why exactly I keep doing the drugs. Like, why do I keep going into these experiences? And it was it was originally intended to just be a spiritual introspective experience, you know? And And, of course, I would have liked to think that every time I was doing it, it was for that purpose. It was to connect with the people that I was around, like, a lot more deeply. But, I mean because the experiences were getting so dark, there's just, there was an indicator there that there was just something that I was overlooking. And I was just overindulging. And I, like, not, a lot of people don't like to talk about it on the internet because as great as they are, and I, I do really respect psychedelics, and I expect the whole introspective psychedelic experience it can definitely be overindulged on and unconsciously used. Not every psychedelic experience is a medicinal, spiritually awakening experience, you know? I mean, actually, you can argue that they all are, but, but if you're not listening to your experiences and, like, actually taking the lessons for what they are each time you are going into a psychedelic experience, like you're not using them to learn anything. You're, you're using them for the physical experience. So it becomes less of a non-physical spiritually enlightening experience. It becomes more of an experience to just enhance your five senses. So, yeah, but, but, you know, Vancouver to answer the second part, Vancouver, because it's such a gray (laughs) <laughs> it's such a gray yeah. city. It mm-hmm. was really difficult to get used to the rain. So really like my first few years there, I was so depressed. It was, it was like the most depressing time of my life, really.
0: That's, and you, the, what you're talking about is what Terence McKenna's calls. Once you get the message, hang up the phone. Yeah. Uh, and that was my, my, uh, impression of Vancouver too I had a very difficult time in the winter time with five months of rain it's Um, nine months well (laughs) I'm 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 trying not I'm trying not to I'm trying to be unbiased here Uh, (laughs) (laughs) okay and there's really no judgments I mean the a lot of the 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 community of the Doomer Bloomers and a lot of the audience have had probably similar experiences to you. I'm not sure if you're aware of my experience or not, but I'm just going to fill you in and I'm just going to remind the audience that my experiences with psychedelics culminated from about 2015 into 2018 with a music festival called Shambhala. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately in 2019 and then 2020 spring thereof, I was hospitalized, right? So that's, you know, that's, that's, that's how, how far and how fast things can fall from the fall of 2019 through the winter of, you know, 20 into the spring of 2020, you know, but I also unfortunately had a lot of bad actors around me, what I call pushers, people who like, they're, they weren't they weren't they didn't really have my best interests in the mind. Um yeah. I've you know since split ties with a lot of those people. I've kind of gotten back onto my own my own journey, my own spiritual rebirth, if you will, my own physical yeah. rebirth, if you will. And I and I do, but I do put out that cautionary tale that psychedelics aren't for everybody. And for myself personally, I really just kind of stick to psilocybin right now. Um, mm-hmm. and not not in the amounts that I used to do because I've just I've gotten I've gotten wise or more more sage more sageness huh. in in a, into the into the equation, you know. And I know my limits and I, I try to play within them and I don't ever, I don't ever do them in party settings anymore and I don't ever really do them around people I don't know anymore. I kind of, I kind of just do them for my own introspection when I want to get some clarity on some issues occasionally. Um, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, (laughs) I think unfortunately, that's how a lot of us are introduced to drugs. And I'm going to put psychedelics in the category of drugs because I consider them drugs. I think a lot of the psychedelic community doesn't want to consider them as drugs because, because when people think drugs, they think of like heroin and meth and stuff. But I mean, I think anything that puts you in an altered state of consciousness is a drug. It just, it it depends on how you use it and what your intention is using it. And Yeah. Like with psychedelics, for example, music festivals, it's really hard to not be on drugs at music festivals. And that's where I was introduced to them as well. And it's, you know, I'm not saying like to not take psychedelics at a music festival or anything. In fact, in my essay, I say like, we really have the choice to take them however, whenever we want, like it's, there's really no shame in how you choose to take them. Even if you want to take them just to enhance your five senses. That go ahead and do that. And if you want to take it to have a spiritual rebirth, like that's just as valid too. You know, but I think it's just the intention and awareness of why you are choosing to go into an altered state of consciousness is really what my whole essay was really challenging people on. So, yeah, party settings. You know, like right now I'd say I I'm just I'm kind of over the psychedelic experience. Like, yeah, I I mean, I've microdosed like maybe 2 years ago was might have been my last microdose, but for me it wasn't like I had to just like cold turkey quit doing anything. It was more just like it was more just like I I just wanted to kind of be with myself like in this state again for the most part because this is when I feel most clear-minded like I can think clearly I have most control over my thoughts I feel in my body I don't feel like I'm dying like I I love sobriety it's just where I feel most myself fully But I mean, that doesn't mean I wouldn't take it at a music festival if I went again, you know, like, like, my view is very nuanced is what I'm ultimately saying. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I think sobriety ultimately is the ultimate reality. And if (laughs) you can get the same experience through meditation and other practices, why wouldn't you want to do that? That's just my 10 yeah. cents or two cents.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, if life in itself isn't already as intense of a psychedelic trip as it gets, then, I mean, what what exactly is the purpose of going into an altered state, like, always, constantly, you know? I mean, it, like, I think science right now, at least the last psychedelic convention I went to, they were saying that there's no evidence that it does any harm to the brain but I mean even while I was in a psychedelic trip I really deeply questioned that one time and was like there's no way this can't do harm to your brain like I mean for example like take LSD for example I mean like like colors are just dripping off of everything like how can that not be happening to your brain like you know, like something is happening in your brain that is probably not the healthiest, you know? So, yeah, that's why, like, I think like once a year, maybe even once every few years for me is like probably good at this point.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's fair. I'm living testament that you can't. Yeah. Uh, anyways, I'm, 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 Yeah. I I I'm yeah, I'm good as well. Yeah. So, you know, kind of switching a little bit of gears here. Um besides the psychedelic experience in Vancouver, you know, what did you go to school for? What do you base your career around or you know, what is what makes what makes Valerie tick? Like what makes you get up in the morning and and you know, want to be alive and live that experience
1: (laughs) i went to school for intercultural philosophy really it was a interdisciplinary program that i was in so i was able to it was it was technically called religion literature and the arts i think they changed the name of the program but uh, it allowed me to study both Asian and German continental philosophy, so I just combined those studies, and and I applied it to my, my craft of acting. Actually, so acting has always been a really huge, important part of my life. In fact, I say acting is like a super psychedelic experience for me. But yeah gradually because I just have such a vivid imagination it all ended up turning into stories so screenwriting became a really big part of what I do and I I love writing psychological thrillers (laughs) so that's really what I live for
0: so are you, would you say you're more on the acting side now or more on the writing side or like half and half or 64 They're
1: both, they're both even. I mean, right, right now I'm focusing on writing longer movies. I really want to, um, I'm really working at getting my first independent feature film off the ground. So that's really like my main project that I'm working on at the moment. Essays are kind of an intuitive, like really natural thing for me to do. So that's why like I'm constantly writing essays. It's just, it's this form of self-expression. It also helps me get my thoughts in order. But yeah, the screenwriting and acting are both hand in hand. They're both equal.
0: Okay. So those are independent of your of your like you know f- official inter until inter- interdisciplinary studies
1: yeah, I mean you know like i I kind of looked at school as an expensive hobby, whereas my real career was outside of school, just doing my film stuff, but I mean it, school like everything that I learned in school really played into a lot of what I do still so like my influences from the Da Ching, or, you know, reading Nietzsche and all these philosophers, they've had an impact on how I interpret life. So, my essays are kind of a testament for that.
0: Right on. So, I'm going to ask you this big question in the middle here.
1: Okay. What is
0: your biggest failure, and what did you learn from it?
1: And what did I learn from what?
0: Well, what did you learn from from said failure, like cuz we're that's what life is, it's a set of constant failures until you hit
1: <laughs>
0: on a some a formula that works for you.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And I'm not oh, saying shit. you have to, right? Do you want me to like
1: <gasps> No, I no, you know, I was thinking about this today actually because I feel like I've like moved the needle I don't know how much I've moved the needle at this point. Like, I mean, I know I'm still kind of in the really early phases of my life, but I mean, everything has been a failure for the most part (laughs) at this, at least, at least public wise. I think I'm still learning how to find a system of like constant success. I think the, the, the consistent success that I see is really like behind closed doors. Like for example, finishing screenplays and doing work as an actor it's not fully public at the moment I think anything public right now has kind of been a public display of my failures for example so so yeah I think right now for me the 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 thing that I just keep in mind is maintaining my state of inner peace. Like I'm not trying to get attached to this whole idea of success that I created in my own mind. So that's very,
0: that's a very Tao of you.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. I'd say so too.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you wrote something a little different here, but uh, you know, you, you pretty pretty much nailed. It. I I really I personally think that that life is just a series of of successive failures, and you just get better and faster at failing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's it, like I don't ever really I don't know. Like it's hard it's it's hard to say when you've made it. Like like is it a certain number? Is it a certain is it the feature film that you get onto the Toronto Film Festival? Like yeah, you know what I mean, like. And like you said, you're still, still have a lot of career life ahead. So it's not like, you know, fail, fail faster, fail, fail stronger. Mm -hmm. But uh, what advice would you give to someone wanting to pursue a career or a path similar to yours?
1: Mm, Yeah. Well, a lot of my career has been looking at Hollywood because innately film actors have to think of Hollywood and innately actors are actors love being center of stage you know you can't be an actor without wanting attention in some regard but I'd say when you're going about a career that is that heavily involves Hollywood you can't look at Hollywood as the path to success I think Hollywood is a really good kind of goalpost or idolized trophy to keep in mind. But there's no correct path to do anything. Like and I learned this like really early on actually because it's like academia. Like we everything we've learned to do is heavily corporatized and it looks like a straightforward career path. Like everything, even when you're an actor, they tell you to get your head get an agent, go out for auditions, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, keep doing the same thing. And then eventually you'll land a role. And it's really not that simple. I mean, you have to be creative and do multiple things to make yourself a unique brand. So I kind of think the idea of mastering just one thing isn't fully possible. If you want to be a master at your craft, like you have to have a wide range of skills and glue them all together and then continue reiterating after every single failure. So Everything that I'm doing right now, for example, like, I mean, I just said every, like, my public display of failures is out there in the open for everyone to see. But, I mean, every single thing that I've done has had some kind of iteration to it. And it's been a unique culmination of skills just put in a different way based on what I've learned from the previous failure. So there's no one corporatized way to success. There's a vast array of things you can do.
0: And and, and oddly enough, you know, someone else I had on this podcast name is Mike Messier. He's also an actor and a screenwriter. Mm. And mm. he's wrote novellas. But you know what he's doing right now is he's actually doing art. <laughs> so... What you're what you're kind of saying in a roundabout way is acting is entrepreneurship, and For entrepreneurship sure. is acting, and and, and I oh, really yeah. feel I really feel that myself because if I was to put myself into a box because I don't really put myself into any box per se, um, yeah. But I but I I would call myself entrepreneurial, mm-hmm. and that's I think that's what you're saying is it's 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 a it's it's a culmination of you got to know how to have some business acumen. You need to know how to network with people,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and like you said, selling yourself, sales and marketing is pretty much um, yeah. the a really big piece of the puzzle. Building that yeah, brand, totally. brand essence. You know, well, jump in yeah, here.
1: That's why that's why people get into that whole starving artist mindset because. I mean, it's not just about the art. Like, for example, the art is probably like, I want to say, okay, it's really important to be good at your craft. So like you need to have confidence in your craft. But I mean, it's like, like not learning the business side of your craft is like, it's like learning how to write sentences, but not knowing how to write a paragraph you know, like it's, you're missing a fundamental piece of your art, like of of creating the craft that you want to make. So, so yeah, I, I think entrepreneurs too are creative people. It's just, it's using creativity where you need to use it. So it's not just about, you know, like being good at your artsy type of stuff, the fun stuff, but like the, the so-called boring stuff is it, it, it needs the creative skill as well. So.
0: Well, and I don't know how much, like we've personally for myself, I don't know how much you feel it or, but like I, I free, I feel a lot of the time we've reached, we've reached a point of information overload on a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I've had to realize is that I needed to take a step back and say, what am I good at? And what am I not so good at? And what can I outsource to other people or what can I outsource to a software program? Um, it's just, it's a matter of figuring out your strengths and playing to your strengths rather than trying to pad your weaknesses as much, I think, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, it's just I mean you're you're kind of in a different field but tangential. I don't even know what field I'm in. I'm 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 <laughs> I'm a little I'm a little a bit of everything. I'm pretty anti-disciplinarian as well.
1: <laughs>
0: to be honest. Um but uh, what were three of the best resources that have helped you along said path or along the way?
1: Mm The three resources, I'd say one resource was my first acting teacher in Vancouver. She taught me how to act intuitively and basically changed my entire perception of acting. Her name is Shay Hampton. My second one would be my screenwriting teacher. Her name is Linda Aronson. She fucking taught me how to write. Like I had never, like in just in so many different dimensions. Like, I mean, she yelled at me one time. Like she didn't like yell at me, yell at me, but she had a serious conversation with me about my priorities. And it it was just, I just feel like she was a true mentor in my life. Not just at a screenwriter level, but just in terms of work ethic. I don't miss a day of screenwriting because of everything she's taught me. So I write daily because of her and her wisdom. And then third, resource. Could you use your, like, could I say, like, my emotions as a sure. resource? <laughs> that, could be, you know,
0: that could be a resource if you feel it's a resource.
1: I feel like it is, because I think the more I got in touch with my emotions, I was able to fine tune my intuition to a degree that is just beyond what I ever like knew I was capable of. So my emotions, I pay really close attention to them.
0: Right on. And if you could step into my sh- shoes as an interviewer, what would you have asked yourself that I didn't already?
1: Mm, I'm probably gonna forget what I thought about.
0: Do you want me to, to cue, cue it up here?
1: <laughs> sure. Cue it. You wrote.
0: You wrote as. You wrote as. How does learning relationship skills help you with achieving your career goals? Oh
1: yeah. There we go. Okay. So. How does learning relationship skills help your career grow?
0: Well, how has it helped you?
1: <laughs> okay. So I feel like relationships, particularly romantic relationships, teach you everything to learn about life. Like, you know, the, that as above, so below principle it so just the extent to which you need to use both your logical mind and your emotional brain to understand what you are getting yourself into at all times and also navigate people and the kind of games they play and also how you choose to be in certain situations and how choosing to be authentically yourself regardless of what other people think about you changes the trajectory of your life it just plays such an important role in you know everything so i feel like if you want to do well in business you should date
0: (laughs) oh (laughs) but don't miss don't mix business and pleasure or what
1: I no business can be pleasurable but i mean i mean i guess i should <laughs> i shouldn't i shouldn't say this too like too literally but like dating is just metaphorical to career like meeting for example if you if you really want what's best for yourself then you need to show up as that best version of yourself that has the thing that you really want. So i mean learning skills on how to get to know people on a certain level whether it be romantic or business related it's it's really very similar doing business with people is really similar to marriage. Like there's contracts, there's shared bank accounts. And a lot of the times, if you're not careful about who you choose as a business partner, everything can just go to hell. And that's really what happened with my last project. It was the closest I got to bringing like a movie up off the ground. And I, I was just, At the time, I didn't really pay the closest attention to the red flags. And then ultimately, it didn't work out. And I guess the same goes for romantic relationships. It's like every single step of the way, you just need to be highly attuned to yourself. Because the extent to which you're attuned to how you feel, like how confident you feel in your relationships, who you're working with or who you are romantically... Um, involving yourself with the better you can be attuned to them and it's just having really unconditional trust in yourself it elevates every single kind of relationship that you get into so yeah that's why I think dating <laughs> teaches you business
0: yeah I, I I mean I I don't necessarily 100% agree
1: there's, <laughs> why there's don't you def- agree
0: I I don't really want to get into it, but I I think it really what you said, what it said, what you said is is choosing the right partner, right? And doing the due Mm -hmm. diligence. So what I what I agree with is any sort of relationship, partnership or romantic or otherwise, there's a due diligence period, right? And people present themselves – like this is the biggest thing that that I've – like the biggest cravat or like I would say is like people present themselves as something other during the honeymoon phase of things, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, but for how long can they persist in the honeymoon phase? Well, that depends on the person, right? Some people can be very deceptive for long periods of time, <laughs> Yeah. I I personally couldn't, I just don't have the energy, but
1: (laughs) yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think that's the thing it, it, that's why it boils down to self-awareness. Like you need to be aware of what is going on within yourself emotionally when it comes to your relationships and you know, what you want to get out of those relationships. So like you have to be aware of whether you yourself are projecting or not. It's like, it's, it's a constant game of identifying the truth within yourself so that you can just utterly and completely be committed to the truth as it is outside of yourself. So
0: I, I, I could, I can I could stomach that one. That would make sense. <laughs> okay. uh, how can a doomer start to get on the path of becoming a bloomer In life, business, relationships, what would be your best advice to someone who's in a bit of a dark place and would want to maybe start to get on a path to something better in their life?
1: I would stay committed to the truth and only the truth. So, I mean, I... I say reality is my religion. Like I just always want to be connected to reality. Like even if it's a hard pill to swallow, even if even if admitting something to myself might hurt my ego or just admitting that I'm in a bad place in general. I think as long as you're committed to reality and being radically honest and accepting of the current state of the situation, then it's much more smooth sailing to get through from there. I forget if that's what I mentioned in the, in the thing, but.
0: (laughs) You wrote, you wrote, be your full self or you wrote, listen to every single detail of feeling that arises for you. It tells you everything you need to know and what's, lets you in on everything you need to do. To live a successful life, so in essence, yes.
1: Mm. Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> and then, yeah, you kind of wrote the same. How can you be of service to your community and the world? And you're familiar with verse seventeen, I imagine.
1: I don't know if I am. I I don't have the memory at the moment well, of verse seventeen. As,
0: as, essentially, verse seven says is how to live life as an enlightened leader, and as the Tao says as an enlightened leader, you have to take a step back and allow people to live their essential natures and not interfere. It's leadership by non-interference. That's mm. essentially the essential, yeah. essential verse.
1: Well, I mean, essentially coercion for the most part doesn't work. And Can you remind me of the question, the original question?
0: (laughs) The original question is how can you be of service to your community and the world?
1: I think admitting that you don't know everything.
0: Yes, I agree.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Being open to being wrong.
0: Yeah. Holy, 100%. Uh, Lastly here... Where can listeners connect with you online via coaching link, online website, or social media handles? This is your time to plug yourself.
1: (laughs) So everything is empty by Valerie, empty with an I at the end Mm -hmm. uh, on all my social handles. And if you want to check out the website, it's emptyofficial.com, empty with an I. And
0: empty.substack.com um, as well.
1: Yep, empty.substack is my substack.
0: <laughs> yes. Definitely encourage you to check that one out. Very thought provoking. At least I get a lot of out of it. Out of the the myriad of subta- substacks that I follow. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so what else was I gonna say here? Yeah. So very thought-provoking, you can tell by your, you know, by your demeanor, you're a very deep thinker, very intuitive, in tune with yourself, reality. Is there anything else you want to to say before I do the sign-off here?
1: I think we got it all. Thank you so much for your kind words.
0: You're welcome. I, I live my life through kindness. I try to as much as I can.
1: Oh, that's a great way to live your life. I'm on board with that.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, wrapping up here. This has been the Doomer Bloomer podcast with Will Nemo. As you know, we have multiple different handles out there, but if you want to get in touch with the Doomer Bloomer podcast and the Doomer Bloomer crew, hit me up at Doomer podcast on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. I don't have a TikTok for Doomer bloomers. Sorry guys. I'm not, I'm not going down that road again. As always keep your stick on the ice, live to your own essential natures, doubt a Ching style, be true to yourself and remember to have fun along the way.
1: Namaste from Will Nemo. Cheers.